0: All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Lion's Guide podcast, where we take on topics in performance and personal growth by exploring the success stories and lessons learned of our guests. And we also review books and other resources to help us all establish clarity, build courage, and lead. I'm your host, Dale Walls, founder of Lion's Guide and a certified high-performance coach. And on this episode today, we've got Mr. Matt Hanna, uh, Matt Coach Hanna as he's Often referred to. And, and he's a proud product of public schools who went on to receive a bachelor's degree uh, from John Hopkins University in 2002. Uh, there he served as captain of the men's lacrosse team, competing in two NCAA tournaments. Then, after a distinguished co- career in the Major League of Lacrosse, uh, Hannah spent a decade in the education field as an administrations director and history teacher before creating his nonprofit organization, Next One Up. And what Next One Up is, you know, it engages and serves Young men ages 13 to 25 from really some of the toughest zip codes in Baltimore, uh, but they share a similar purpose, which is accepting that that hill – must still be climbed, and Matt and his team provide long-term mentoring, coaching uh, to these young men, and and in the classroom and and on the field. So Matt and I dive into that today. We talk about his life as a high performer, as well as the importance to look back and help the next one up. So before we get started, if you like the sound of that, hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. You know, as always, this podcast is sponsored by Lions Guide. And if you've been tuning in, getting value from the show, please support the podcast by going to Lions. Guide.com. Uh Subscribe to our email list, become a member, or even apply for some free one-on-one uh, coaching with me, Dale Walls, your certified high-performance coach. And aside from our, sur- our services, we've, you know, we've got some great, cool Lions Guide gear out there as well. So check that out and show off your pride of living a life of courage, clarity, and leadership. With that all said, let's start the show. guys welcome to another episode of Lions Guy podcast and today i've got Mr. Matt Hanna on the show and I met Matt. I stumbled across uh, Matt in LinkedIn. Uh, really, I got a there was this video came up. Next one up, it was a great story about just reaching back and helping those who were climbing behind you as well. And I really related to the story. And uh, I let Matt tell about the, about his organization. Next one up, but um, but as I reached out to Matt, I found that he's a freaking high performer too. So it's like win win. Let's get this guy in here and talk about you know that philosophy, what, how he's serving the community and helping a lot of men out there as well as. Uh, you know talk about you know your success your habits and, and things that are serving you so matt tell us a little bit about your background where you come from sure
1: thanks dale for having me too it's um yeah for myself i grew up in central new york uh geneva uh, i was a coach's son uh, my dad bounced around was actually based in baltimore uh in his early days shipped out to vietnam from fort holibird and coached football at navy and and princeton university so again it, uh, we bounced around as young kids as a, as a coach's kid and um, and my mom was, uh, was a teacher for a number of years. And uh, it was all right there at the house in terms of uh, where my education uh, kind of lied. My grandfather was a high school football coach. So it was sort of this teaching coaching environment that I think was really super helpful for me. And I, I found my way from a small town, um, small public school to you know kind of a larger venue when I, I started to look at colleges. And Uh, lacrosse was a sport that, uh, you know, I I excelled at in high school, but uh, again, played in a great area in in central New York and upstate New York with you know Hobart College and Syracuse and and, and just a great history there. But I didn't know what I didn't know. And I I showed up in college with, uh, you know, the ball moved a lot faster. Uh, Guys from certain areas, especially Baltimore, Long Island, now it's everywhere, just knew more than I did. The X's and O's were very different to me. I was, you know, sort of the guy you give the ball to in high school and then you know as i got to college i realized man i'm at the end of the line and uh, i nice. had a lot to learn so you know with all that it was um, a great opportunity as a small-time kid at a bigger venue at a place you know i, I graduated from johns hopkins in 2002 uh, i was captain of the team my senior year but you know even as i look back now at 42 there were a lot of struggles for me as an athlete um, absolutely as a student Um, as a, you know, relationship wise, how I develop friends, who's I, who I chose to be around my social choices. Um, It's not a world of regret, but a a way that I look back and say, how could I position myself differently knowing what I know now? And, um, you know, I think that's part of why I do what I do today. I, I got into education. I knew that my senior year at at, at Johns Hopkins, that uh, teaching was probably what I was going to do and um, as i rolled through my my college career i had an opportunity to go over to england uh, uh manchester in northwest england uh, which is a pretty tough city and and um, reminded me a lot of baltimore too and as i went there i was a teacher in the primary school so i started an elementary school as an american athlete they were bringing over um, former college athletes to sort of uh, reinvigorate sports into their school system the uh, the country had cut physical education so i was teaching um, you know, lacrosse skills The kids that didn't know much about lacrosse. They taught me a lot about football or soccer over there. I knew very little about that. So it was just a humbling experience at, at 22, 23 years old. And then I found myself back in Baltimore, um, at, at 23, 24 teaching and coaching and, and really went right down that path. I thought that I would, but, um, you know, after 13 years in education, that the things that I picked out, picked apart, um, you know, is this, this, guy from a small town that was you know pretty diverse I, I didn't understand growing up uh, that I probably saw a little bit of how the world worked in terms of um, haves and have-nots and uh, everything from socioeconomics to race um, I was able to really look back to my childhood see how my parents treated others you know how my father coached how my mother taught um, how my sisters operated um, and realize I was a pretty lucky guy in terms of growing up in a household that, um, valued hard work, that that valued, um, you know, togetherness and taking care of your business first and not worrying about everybody else's. Um, so, you know, again, as I got into the teaching world, I just realized, you know, I think I had a moment at, you know, 34, 35, where I'm teaching US history and uh, school in Southeast Baltimore, and um, just realized that this was my last year, I was in the middle of the classroom. And I didn't, I said it in my head. And I looked around, I was like, I'm getting ready to teach, you know, the, the Civil War from a, something someone told me I needed to teach. And um, said, "This is how we do it, at, you know, this 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 school." And I thought, "I'm not doing this again. I'm either starting my own school or I'm starting a nonprofit because something's broken." And for me, it was about what students do after school, on the weekends, during the summer. So, you know, that's how I arrived where I am today. And and um, it's uh, it's been a blessing, you know. Next one up's been an organization that really is near and dear to me because it was born out of this frustration and also born out of what I was lucky enough to gain as a young person through my family and and my upbringing. Um, again, not knowing the education I was receiving until it was time for me to apply it to something.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you, I think I saw on your bio that you sent me over, like you went on to play major, league lacrosse as well yeah and,
1: and so i i had a, a teaching stint um, my wife had worked uh for a company for under armor out of baltimore for a long time and uh, she was transferred out to denver and it was a great opportunity for me to work at a new school and and uh then i was drafted by the denver outlaws uh i guess it was about 24 25 played for four years so i was almost 30 and i uh, had a great experience we were owned by the broncos and um so we got to play our games at mile high stadium and it was you know 20 i played in front of 20 30 thousand people and um, some games, of course, Major League Lacrosse, we go to some other cities, I play in front of five. And um, so I got, the, I got a little feel of everything. But then we moved back to Baltimore and I said, you know, I'm not going to play anymore. I'm going to focus on teaching um, and education. And I, I want to start a lacrosse program in the inner city. There's just more I wanted to do. And I think I picked that up along the way while working in Denver. I was working in at admissions at a, at a Catholic school, an all boys Catholic school. That was similar kind of to, in Baltimore, like Calvert Hall, just a big boys Catholic school. And um, I just started to realize again, um, stu- you know, a lot of haves and have not students that struggled and why a lot of it was a lack of a mentor, lack of a male figure. Um, those kind of things started to really get my wheels turning of, you know, how can I make a bigger impact outside of a school system? And, um, so the lacrosse education for me to play at that level, to be honest with you, Dale too, I, <clears throat> I walked away from the game as a guy who went to college. You know, I, I left for a year, uh, injuries, depression, um, Going out too much—it it was a little bit of everything as a young kid from a small town. When things didn't work out, you know, when I wasn't a starter, it wasn't about me whining that I didn't play. It was a broken foot surgery, a broken hand surgery, a broken foot again. Uh, this depression started to kick in for me in college, and I really was sort of a, a shell of myself for a long mm. time. And and so um, my my last year in Major League Lacrosse as a super low draft pick, uh, I made the All Star game and. Um, played with the best players in the world. A lot of them are buddies of mine. They're like, Matt, it's pretty cool that you're here right now. You know, in college, like you just didn't hit your ceiling and if you were injured or you, you know, this, that, the other. And um, when I hit that all-star season, um, you know, played in that game, that was it for me. And it wasn't, you know, I, I had to prove that to myself that I was as good as anybody at the game. And it took me till my late thirties to do that. And having just played in the lacrosse tournament this weekend with a bunch of over 40 guys, in a good way, like I, you know, I just feel the same. I could play ball. And it was just one of those things like the game was always there for me, but the mental got in the way of everything. My social choices, nothing tragic as much as, um, you know, in, in 1999, 2000, for a 19 year old, uh, depression was not something you spoke of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know who to talk to anyways. I didn't understand that there was support systems for it as a small town guy and colleges didn't have those resources. So somewhere in all of this lies this mental health challenge that I struggled with and, and continue to at times like a lot of us. So um, I think there was a big reality for me that sports were really important, but there was an accomplishment I wanted to make in professional lacrosse, which was not to make the all star game, but to look around the field at a packed night with the lights on and say I belong here. Yeah, and, right. and that was that moment for me. And and that was it And for, for any athlete for me and as a military guy. And I know an athlete as well. The next thing I did was I went to a bar in Fells Point that 30 years old and bumped into a guy that ran an MMA gym. And he said, you're done playing lacrosse. I said, I need something. And he said, come see us. And I showed up that Monday and I, you know, 14 years later, 13 years later, I've never stopped. Yeah. And it's just one of those things that I needed to grind. And I think I missed that. If I could talk to my college self, I'd grab myself out of bed and say, you got to grind, brother.
0: You got to. I mean, I don't know, man. It's just just our instinct. Like, especially doing jujitsu. I've done jujitsu since I'm 31. And it was that. It was this, like, the ability to kind of release and go just get after it in a way that, because otherwise all day I'm sitting, especially in tech, obviously very white collar, clean environment. I'm not grinding. Like, when I came up small town, you know, I grew up chopping wood. Yep. Mowing lawns, landscaping, like outdoor hard work, um, and then when I joined the Marines, obviously there's a lot of physical aspects there. But I was a tactical data marine, so I learned tech. So it was a lot of tech. I wasn't out toting machine guns and all that stuff. It was mostly tech, and then that became my career as well. But jujitsu, man, it came. It comes in like fills in the blanks. You know, I, I always joke and say, you know, uh, the office was so much easier after I'd just been like. Virtually yeah. choked to death you know, yeah. that morning. You know, yeah. uh, just puts things in perspective, like you know yeah. what really matters and doesn't, where you stand. I don't know. It's it's it's, it's, it's hard a teaching to explain. tool,
1: right? And we all need those teaching tools. And I think that was I spent my time as this educator giving information, and we all need to receive as well. And I I'd explain that to a couple of buddies this weekend, and they still looked at me like I was kind of weird. Like, what are you up to now? And I said, well, you know. I've, you know, been doing this and that, but I, you know, I got into jujitsu now and there was nothing better than, I think I talked to you about it too, of just being a white belt and I don't want to be one for very long, but I'm standing in the back and you know what Dale, I'll tell you this too, is last week they started handing out, uh, you know, I've been at the jujitsu piece, the, the striking in, in Muay Thai, I've been 12, you know, 11, 12 years now and with the uh, jujitsu, you know, two months they handed out last Tuesday um, for some of the white belts would, uh, you know, their next degree, a little piece of tape for the belt. Yeah. And at the end of class, it was awesome. It was the best thing that could happen. It was like being a kid again. I stood there and I felt, you know, I keep my mouth shut and I just show up and I work. I'm not an ex-pro athlete or anything. I just show up. And, uh, you know, the, the owner of the gym was there and I can see and I said in my head, I'm like, they're going to hand some stuff out today. And I've been at it for two months showing up. And the best thing that could have happened was they two other guys walked up. And I'm like, well, they must be calling me next, just in my head. And then class ended. And you know what I did was I I never show up at the 6 a.m. class. I always go at like noon on my lunch break. The next morning I showed up at the 6 class. I'm like, screw you guys. I'm getting mine. And it was one of those things that just was the best motivator. And I don't think there was a strategy to it. I probably am not good enough yet. And so it was one of those things I didn't get picked. And what was I going to do? Like go up to the, you know, to a black belt and say, hey, man, where's mine? Or I'll see you tomorrow morning. Yeah. And I think that's what I needed to sleep on was if you didn't get what you want, are you going to go get it? And I think my 20 year old self wouldn't do that. So having this teaching tool of jujitsu and, you know, even today I'm rolling with this uh, black belt and I could tell he's just like, come on, man. Like, dude, you know, I'm just trying to be an athlete. And I just it, it's humbling in that like I'm pretty much wasting this guy's time right now. And <laughs> and so with all of that, it was it was it, that this experience I'm going through now um, is awesome. And, I, you know, blue belts, whoever, I'm giving them hell. Uh, but yep. when I get up to some of these higher level guys, I'm like, all right, man, I'm just going to try really hard and yeah. see what I can pull out together after two months. But um, it really is important for, for anybody either struggling or trying to find what their purpose and passion are. Is If you're not doing something hard and you're not doing something where you're at the end of the line and you need to get to the front of the line, then you're probably not going to learn. And yeah. I wasn't getting that going to Planet Fitness, you know.
0: Yeah. 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 hundred percent. It, it challenges you. You need that challenge. You need to be because I, I don't know the truth and the science of it, but I, f- I feel like we're always, there's always an opportunity to grow, you know, yeah. physically, mentally, and jujitsu brings it all. Man, I, yeah. I, I don't know if I told you in my first talk, but that's what got me into it was I went with, you know, someone who was trying to go, I went to kind of buddy system it yeah. and that dude quit in two weeks. But that first night I got my tail whipped by a 15 year old. And I'm like, Oh, and I was 31. I was 31 years old. And it was the, it was the instructor's son, of course, but roll with this 15 year old kid. And he murdered me. And I'm like, Oh no, this isn't, I'm not walking around knowing that there's a 15 year old out here that could just mop mop the floor with me. Because as you know, like that first, that first, um, session that you go to, you're helpless, like you're helpless. And, And it's, if you can be humble enough to to say, hey, I don't want to f- feel like that anymore, you know, you'll you'll fall in love with that. I mean,
1: it's- Yeah, it's I agree with you. And I, I think the last thing on that I was thinking that you know, the, the white belt thing is, is that I've explained it again, is a humbling thing for a couple months, you know, six months, year, whatever. But there is that point where I'm feeling even in my head where I'm like, get this thing off of me. Get it off yeah. of me. Yeah. I want another color. And yeah. I think that's what I learned from the boy Thai world. There wasn't that progression of a belt system. And so I just felt like, oh, I think I'm okay. And I sparred with this guy and that guy. But man, I I'm re-motivated in that with the jiu-jitsu world because there's another level every time, and it could take you two years to get there. And like, are you really down for you know a longer fight? And um, it's been fun, but it's someone had said it's a a mental chess match with chess match with with dire physical consequences.
0: Yeah, I'm reading uh, grit right now, and and I'm just coming across. Have you ever read that Angela Duckworth's grit? No, but I'm writing that down. I've heard that
1: so many times. Oh uh-huh, man
0: it's a it's a great book and it's talking about it, it I, i'm going through a couple chapters now about youth which i think you would appreciate but um you know uh un- identifying what uh installs grit which she defines as a uh, perseverance a combination of perseverance and passion and uh but she was talking about the ability to stick with something for longer than a year right um really is is a, a key indicator of 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 grit and it's specifically talking about uh youth and high school and things like that that they they'll enroll in these different sports but they actually find interest and hang with it longer than a year but you just made me think of that because in jujitsu like you got to hang in there you know to get get your blue belt that you know your white belt you want to get to the blue like you've got to hang in there you know for one two years um and and it it it, it weeds folks out you know It, it it really does um i wanted to ask so tell me if you don't mind the depression piece that you were talking about what what was that was that you know, so you're in college, you know, but you're. What, what's causing that? Is it just what you, you're? I know you mentioned decisions, but what, what's, yeah. what's what's think, what's got your head messed up?
1: Yeah, in looking back, Dale is, is, you know, anxiety and and probably different forms of depression for me, or different levels, I should say. As a young kid, you know, growing up in the '80s and '90s in a small town, <laughs> I think it was always present. Um, you know, I remember you know, just challenges sleeping or getting worked up before, um, you know, whether it was a game or a test, just the, the typical anxiety and having that sort of baseline and then entering college and, you know, going again from a, a small town where I, you know, played a bunch of sports and didn't really struggle for playing time or, you know, I was always coachable and, and I didn't have expectations that I you know was, was the man, but I, I certainly went to college and, and saw what it was really like, like you probably saw in the Marine Corps, like to really get dressed down by a coach. What's that look like? Mm -hmm. And what is someone screaming at you and spitting in your face and bad language and getting thrown off the field. And the reality of what sports were at that level, I was prepared for it. I was up for the fight, but boy, it was, uh, when you combine, you know, I think uh, a team culture, and I think I struggled in my earlier years of college with a team culture that, you know, maybe partied pretty hard or, you know, um, surrounding myself with some guys that, you know, didn't last at the school, you know, they left and, and weren't making great decisions. I was really trying to find my niche. And there certainly is a big difference between um, the guys that are high level competitors and then some some young guys like myself that are just trying to find their way. And um, I think with, you know, you add an injury or two in the mix, then you start asking questions like, where do I even fit in here? Mm -hmm. You know, the worst thing um, when the depression really started to deepen was my freshman year. I, I, I started a, the first game and it wasn't because I was going to be the greatest. A couple other guys were injured and they're like, hey, Matt, guess what? You're starting your first college game. A year before that, I was at this tiny high school playing for a 500 team. So in my head, I'm like, holy crap, this is the big time. Whereas there's other guys I'm playing with like, this is just cross, man. We've been doing this our whole lives. And for me, it was um, a little more eye opening. But two, three games later, I realized I had a, a stress fracture in my foot that uh, eventually. Had um, you know required me to sit out the rest of the season for it to heal, and there was a big change in me from um, being on the field in a uniform to someone saying, "Hey, rookie, go carry my bag," you know, or "Hey, we don't have a seat for you in the locker room." Or, hey, all the injured guys, you can't come to this game this week. And it wasn't mm-hmm. that I you know had teammates or coaches that were uh, not giving great you know messages. It was just more how I read it you know, as an 18, 19 year old, I'm like, man, I don't matter. And the the only thing that really I identified with, and I I think I I teach a lot of young guys this now is, you know, the different tools that that, that you develop as a young person. I had assumed that the best tool that I had was as an athlete, I I was there as a lacrosse player. And that was the worst way to go into a college campus is I'm here because of the sport, not because Mm -hmm. of this institution. And I think that was the hardest part. Is I stopped going to class as much. You know, like which ones can I skip? Let's see which ones I don't. Know. Oh man, I hate French. I don't want to go to French. Economics sucks, and I don't want to do that. And before I knew it, you know, when the grades start to pile up, a couple C's, a B minus, a D. Um, you know, then you roll through the summer. And um, what was wild was the first practice of my sophomore year after that injury. The first practice, uh, I went to take a shot and a rookie guy just kind of threw a stick up at me and it broke my hand. So I broke two bones in my hand right after, you know, this was going to be my comeback in the fall where I was going to prove to everybody I belonged. And then all of a sudden I missed, you know, in the college across, there's fall across, which is scrimmages, and then the spring, which is the real deal. And I had missed the entire fall as a sophomore. And then by the time I got to spring of my junior year, um, the, the wheels were off. You know, I, I had, uh, yeah, I put on weight, I, you know, the college life of cafeterias and beer. And, um, you know, for me was um, the ultimate backslide. And it, it continued on to, you know, believe it or not, that sophomore year, I got on the field a little bit. And then that following fall, so I'm going into my third year, the foot that I originally had injured, it kind of healed, just broke and gave way and, and needed surgery. So mm. then that, Third year of college, I had to sit out the whole year. So it was a medical red shirt. So I, by that point, I played in probably eight games in three years or two and a half years. And so then I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I withdrew from college. Um, I, I made some bad choices of just completely disregarding classes. And th- that's where the depression. Um, I luckily at the time had a friend who got literally got me out of bed and said, whatever's going on with you is not right. You're just in bed all day. And that was absolute just um, you know, clinical depression. And um, you top alcohol on top of that. And, and um, uh, you know, probably a social crew that, um, you know, was inviting of it. Oh, Matt's fun. He's let's bring him out. He's always around. He's always up for it kind of guy. And, um, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, no, no major wrong turns or bad decisions. But it was enough that I didn't belong in college anymore. And um, I was embarrassed enough that I didn't go home and um, lived on Long Island with a friend and went from working at a mcdonald's driving a delivery truck uh i worked at a bar i uh, worked for a, an awning company installing awnings all over new york and and uh man that was the reality for me was um a couple coaches called and said uh you know hey i heard you're not in school anymore i remember you and what if i gave you a shot and a couple schools gave me a shot two of them didn't even let me in said, and then we saw your transcript and we realized we can't do anything about it. And by the by, the final one, Johns Hopkins had, had given me a shot and um, said, "Hey, we, we got a door that's open for you, but come to summer school, get good, good grades." They, they set a little bit of a gauntlet for me, and um, you know, I was there my junior year. By my senior year, I was I was captain of the team, as my coach had said. I'd gotten more votes than anybody else on the team, and it was a for me, I think, it was a, a character thing for me, a personality thing. I had learned to love myself a little bit more. Um, I learned that I was given a great opportunity. But one thing I absolutely couldn't shake Dale was the fact that I never looked my depression straight in the eye. And so I was still who I was, you know, I was at Johns Hopkins performing at a pretty decent level. But um, still at the same time, looking back on it, I was a kid that kid needed help. And um, my coach was was wonderful and others and, you know, knowing, that, hey, Matt's got a couple struggles. But man, as a guy who i think i'm pretty tough I, I didn't want to share that with anybody i just wanted to go to practice work hard and be like everybody else so it was um it was real and something today that exercise and challenges for me and um like we're saying with jiu-jitsu or anything else um i i feel like i manage it really well um uh, not perfectly um but it still exists with me and it was something i realized yes i'm probably wired for this and to be honest with you is makes me a far better mentor um And and it's a bit therapeutic to know that there's times where I'm really hurting, and I'm talking to a kid that's hurting, and um, I can relate a bit. And um, you know, I think that's been probably the best blessing and and, and a challenge at the same time. Is when you're born into something like depression, or you you know, you sort of acquire it through experience as you go. um, It's it's uh, there. There's some dark days.
0: Yeah, I, I've heard um, close friend of mine, Jay Teagues, um, do Hard Things podcast say this because he's he and he says, "Hey, my life of uh, personal development and my focus on this is to keep the keep the bad away." Because he's he's gone to PTSD, he's, he's battle alcoholism, deep depression, et cetera, and I believe even suicidal at, at one stage. And he goes, "My focus on this and being the best version of me and continual growth and all that is I've got to be looking that direction because I can't." Otherwise it's, it's, it's that the darkness catches up to me and, you know, yeah. so he's living a life of, you know, personal development and helping others yeah. for those reasons, right? Because he always knows it's, it's right there behind him. So he's just heads down, focused on, yeah. you know, being his best period. And it's awesome. I mean, it really yeah. is. And I think, you know, when you get touched with that stuff, I mean, and, I, you know, and, and the reason I even asked you about it, because it's one of these things, I think it's another one of these topics that just isn't talked about enough. You've got. I've. I've had it, man. I've been there. You know. I've. I've been there, and for no good reason. But you know, it's. It. You know, I didn't have anything going on. I just knew I was in in poopers. But you know, because sometimes you, you know, what way I heard it from Jordan Peterson on one of his some content from him. It was like, you know, sometimes you're depressed because there's an event, but other times it it's truly a serotonin deficit. Yeah, there was no event, and you're you're down, and that was really me. I had the world going for me, but. I was just depressed and I had no solution for it. And, um, you know, no one would have ever known. No one would have known. No one. I was still getting after it, still doing everything. But, you know, uh, but my wife was like there for me. She knew she could see it. Like I, I would be out of nowhere. It's so like just crying for no reason. What's wrong. Yeah. I don't know. I have no yeah. clue what's wrong with me right now. And, and I think it's just, I, I, I wanted to go there because it's like people, a lot of people, like you say, are are experiencing it, but they're not speaking up. They think something's wrong with them. No, man, you know, a lot of people go through it, go find help, go talk to your doctor, talk to someone, you know, talk about it, you know, get it, get it out there because there is help there. You know, you got to do something, you know, if you do nothing, nothing's going to change, you know?
1: Yeah. I I agree with you. And I, I've become, um, I guess, you know, more engaging with, with people, especially, you know, whether it's, Interesting or weird or not is besides my family is is um you know I just finished with this trip with my, my college teammates and you know I, I talked to the hotel before I left to to book it again I took my son with me and it was just a, a great special time and I, I just had a really good experience there and I said to the the folks you know you think about right now post COVID who's dealing with the most crap and you look at the service industry you know coffee shops or you know a, a restaurant you know going to get food you know people are complaining everywhere and I I, I took a lot of time to Tell the folks at the hotel how special that trip was and the experience that they provided me, you know, and uh, you don't know what people are going through.
0: No, no, you know, And you got to keep that top of mind. You got in. It's the world. Hey, everyone listening, the world doesn't re- revolve around you, man. And everyone's going through something regardless of what you're going through. Just at least pretend, pretend the other person on the other side of that registers going through something as bad or worse than you and treat them like you want to be treated go back to the golden rule man because you never you never know um
1: yeah this it, is high time for that type of stuff and and you know people are complaining because things are 20 you know your meal takes 20 minutes longer minutes longer to deliver and, and, and get to you at the restaurant or whatever else it is and um you know for the most part for me it's you know i just couldn't be more appreciative of, of people and it is really understanding what what people have to carry and yeah. um it, it's intense and i think that's the the education tool for me with depression is is understanding, identifying that others probably struggle struggle as well. And um, can I be a, a resource to people? And most importantly, try to figure out who needs a hug once in a while. Yeah.
0: You know, yeah. And do, you, do you think like the cause of it was I, I was trying to figure out as you're telling the story, but I'll ask you your, your opinion on it. Was it that you had such high standards for yourself and you weren't meeting them? Or was it that you were not being congruent, like the, the decision-making stuff, like you weren't being congruent with the standard you had for yourself as well, right? Aside from being on the sideline, you're also doing the alcohol, the party, and all that stuff. Yeah. It, was it either or or both? Like what do you think was really like pulling into the, the – Yeah, the
1: you know, for me, Dale, I think it was there's, – there's a bit of, you know, me being wired a little bit in that, um, you know, looking back to like high school and my earlier days – um, I remember looking back as like an elementary and middle school kid and and dealing with depression, like thinking about those moments. Um, man, I and I was a heavier set kid. I was I was, uh, you know, I was tall and sort of big for my age. And, man, I went through all the the teasing and, and uh, you know, still of you know, sort of a little bit of, uh, you know, what nasty things people had said to me. And that was my motivator as an athlete was you know, playing football, basketball, anything else, and, and you know getting bigger, faster, stronger. And to kind of answer your question is I, I think a lot of that depression, anxiety absolutely existed for me, whether it's family-related or just was sort of the baseline I was born into. Um, but it certainly exasperated or was exposed when I show up on a college campus and all of a sudden you have to not uh, – well, certainly prove yourself again. But – and I wasn't rolling to campus like, well, I'm the man and everyone should re- – realized this, it was more of like, man, I have to really reset, um, earn my, my my relationships again. And to me, um, I really lost my way in understanding, you know, great people Surrounding myself with guys that made great decisions. And I certainly I, you know, I don't have guys like, well, I hung out with all these guys made horrible decisions. I just ran with the pack you know, like, Hey, we're underage. We're all going to go into a bar. Like who didn't do that in college. But for me, um, I started my, you know, the anxiety depression behind it was what if I don't go tonight? will, will I be judged? What if I do this? Will, will I have no friends, you know? And, and so there was this follower mentality for me that is interesting at my age now, as my confidence grew, whether it was, you know, through professional lacrosse teaching, you know, my work, my family, um, I started shaking that off. I, I, I don't, um, that's why I, I think I struggled. My only regret as I look back is like that young Matt Hannah's: be yourself, be you. But I think the other thing I was searching for who I was and I, mm-hmm. you know, I have some journals from back then. And it was very similar to the journals as I was older and I was struggling was, you know, why do I do this or why do I, you know, whether it was, you know, staying out too late or being underage and, you know, hanging out and partying. I don't think it was by any means outside the realm with any college kid does, but I do have high expectations that I could have been better. And and I think that's really for me was I look back depression was always there, I managed it maybe with sports, but um, I, I certainly didn't live in a, a, a an environment where it was okay or you know welcome to talk about. So it it really smacked me in the face when when you you know combine a new environment, um, fast paced social life. Um, injuries as a college athlete and then overall just sort of being un- unhappy my, my first school that I attended was Loyola University and um, at the time just you know didn't really gel with um, you know I think with, with with our coach and just the overall you know expectation that uh you know behave yourself but just you know stay out of trouble and and I think I needed more than that I needed mentors I needed I needed people around to say you know the before games and the week before games, everything else, we stayed disciplined, we work hard. It was sort of like, eh, let's see what we can get away with. And yeah. um that wasn't me. And I think when you live your life as someone that's not yourself for a number of years, um, in some cases there may be no coming back. Um, and in other cases, there's points like I am of reflection today where I realize, um, you know, what did that teach me? And it sure as hell taught me a lot. I gained a lot of experience, I made it through. Um, but you know, I, I started to see some buddies that didn't make it through those years and they're the ones that struggle now today a bit. And it was, uh, it was a rough go, but it it certainly is that that depression piece is so relevant to young men, young athletes. We had talked before the podcast, young women, I'm a father of two daughters as well. It certainly is a reality too, but it's often overlooked as, you know, young alpha men. Um, man, a lot of us were hurting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Was that, was that the hardest challenge you've had to overcome? Just it is.
1: I, I think, you know, as I look back at any any uh, obstacles and I think about guys in Next One Up that I work with and I shake my head and think, man, the challenges that some of these young guys have been through, the worst is for me to think, yes, that depression was the hardest thing I've been through. But to sit down with a young man, I did that a couple of years ago. He's in the Army now and doing great. We sat down and his household was just a disaster at the time. And, and th- on top of that was dealing with a similar depression that I dealt with. So I thought, man, behind, you know, as a young college kid, I have my family behind me. I I, I had a couple bucks in the bank. I had, had, you know, hot meals to eat. Um, Here comes a kid that has almost less than nothing. And he's also dealing with the same thing. And that really level set me and realized that one, how good I have it, how blessed I feel and how this depression um, probably was the the best thing that could have happened to me because you always realize that there's somebody that's got it tougher and um, I think my son last night was crying because his sisters were away and he started sleeping with my wife and I. And I'm looking at my wife like this is bad. He's six years old and like get him back in his room. And um, we kind of laughed with it. But last night he came in, he's like, my bed not comfortable. That was his excuse last night. And I, I just I rub his head and say, you know, dad knows some guys that don't have beds. And, you know, those guys and he shakes his head. And I said, I got guys. And so with that, my son can struggle with anything that he that, that he sees. But one thing that will always be provided to him is his basic needs. And so I think it always shows. And, and that same kid that's in the Army, we, he just texted me last week. He just got to Fort Lewis last Sunday. And um, that relationship's there. It's strong. And so I think for me, I can show my kids. Um, I, I can tell them my experience. But then I can also attach it to something even tougher. These next one up guys are way tougher than me.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. They've come through it. I think I saw, I highlighted an article you sent me, it was the thing like, you know, they, they, they shared a similar purpose, which is accepting that the hill still must be climbed, right? Like they're born in these dire circumstances. And I, I mean, I highlight that. I was like, I, I got to turn that into something because that's awesome. Like it, that that's, that's the truth of it. Like the still, the hill still needs to be climbed. And I, and yeah. I love that it's, it's always
1: there and, and and it's a big one. And I think at 42 now, as I talk to these young guys, like it's hard for them to understand. And you're not supposed to get it at 20 years old. But, man, there's a long, long stretch ahead of you and some clouds that you can't see through. And, um, you know, it's easy to say hey, this is the easiest time of your life. But every moment can be the toughest. And, and I think climbing these hills and having, you know, this young man or others or my son to be able to you know, pull that next guy is gonna be really important because it's you know one of the only ways that I'm able to, you know, do what I do is is take a look at like who could use me today,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now. and and I guess like in just to, to round this one out, what was different in your senior year? Like what what changed for you to pull yourself out of that to go from, you know, mm-hmm. working at McDonald's, get called back, go to John Hopkins to be the captain on the team, like what was the difference between the captain of the team and the Matt for Pryor? I would
1: say honestly, it's easy um, answer as you you know started to ask that question. For me, it was culture and coaching, and the culture of the team shifted for me at Johns Hopkins, where um, you know attitude and, and social choices, and there was a big difference between if you try to sneak a beer in, you know, on a Thursday night before a Saturday game, you would not be on that team anymore. Um, or if you got into drugs, or if you got into a fight, or or just made poor decisions. Um, at the end of the day, you know we all have to answer to somebody. And I think you know I was blessed enough to have a coach and teammates, especially and these are the guys I was away with this weekend. All my Hopkins teammates were in our 40s now, and we play together still. And um, I think that's what did it. Was I look at all these guys now, and we all have different. You know, nobody's perfect, but um, I see a bunch of great fathers. Um, I see them with their wives and, and some wonderful kids. And it was interesting too, Dale is like this hotel, you picture a bunch of, you know, lacrosse guys and families show up this hotel in Lake Placid and, um, the security guy came up to us Saturday night and like, oh, we're all in trouble. That you know, dads are all having a beer outside. The kids are still running around. And he said, honestly, this is the best behaved group we've had here in a long time. And I think that was a reflection of a lot of us as fathers. And so, um, That was just something that was great to hear. And and to answer that question again in the long way, I surrounded myself with really strong character and and great people. And these guys are all successful college lacrosse coaches. Some of them do this, do that. Um, But man, at the end of the day, um, placing yourself and I tell that to our next one up guys that are choosing colleges is think about the culture you want to be surrounded with. What are these players like? When you go out at night, what do you see? How do they act? How do they treat women? How do they treat their roommates or the guy that on the team that has a broken foot? How do they treat them? Because I think, you know, my first time around, I, I didn't feel it. The culture wasn't there. It was sort of, um, you know, as I was saying earlier, do what you need to do. Just show up at the game on Saturday. And um, that was something as an 18-year-old kid that was battling, you know, probably some precursors to depression and anxiety. Um, I needed something stronger. And I think my teammates at that time gave me the backbone and wouldn't let me stray. And they, they created a comfortable environment where they understood that I might have had a couple struggles. And I would share that once in a while. It's like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm not going out tonight. Um, I'm feeling pretty down, but here's what I just want to accomplish a few things. And honestly, you know, check in on me tomorrow. Nothing dire, but, you know, I'm staying home tonight. And I think those guys are like, great. They still respect me for my decisions. And that that, that culture and, and the ability to have um, – you know, around you, peers that can be your mentors as well. It's just reflected again today because I can pick up the phone and call those guys at any point. Yeah. And that was a huge shift of who you choose to spend your time with is going to determine who you are as a grown man.
0: Yeah. It's powerful, right? Because, the, you know, the, you mentioned the fear of missing out, right? It, you know, part of getting drug into the bad stuff, like you're afraid to miss it because you didn't, and the fear of missing out and then the resultant fear of judgment, you know, yeah. these are all real things, but just, we all fall victim to them. And then, and I'm glad you call it out. Right. It's like, Hey man, like know what your prize is, know what you're after, know what the best of you looks like and always check like, and is doing this congruent with who I want to be, you know, is it serving me? Because you're right. Like you want to surround yourself with those supporters or partners or whatever that, you know, that are on the side of your potential. Right. When you, when you said like the coach, wasn't tolerating the beer on Thursday when you got a game on Saturday. Like that goes, you had a coach that was on the side of your potential, not, Hey, do what you got to do. Just be here Saturday at, you know, 900. It was like, now if you're going to be on this team playing at our level, this is how we do. And like always holding you accountable to the standard, you know, that's, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. I was, I was lucky to have that happen. And I think for any young person, you know, you attach yourself to a college environment, um, you got to answer to somebody, you know, whether it's a club or a, a sport that you're playing or a professor or anyone, you know, or even in the work world. If you're 18, like a lot of next one up guys and go out into the work world, you know, who's your first boss, you know, and who's at work really watching out for you? And I think that's um, there's a lot to be said about that. I don't know if we're developing enough mentors, you know, in, in our society. And that's the hard part. We're, it's such a culture of me um, that it's uh, it's few and far between for guys to find man, that 18 to 25 demographic needs as much love and support and attention and mentoring as they can get. And if you're not getting it, um, it makes for a rough road.
0: Hi, everyone. Dale here. I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join us at lionsguide.com. Have you ever struggled to show up as your best when you really needed to most? Have you ever stared at your week and you just wondered, how the heck am I going to fit all this in? Or worse, have you come to the end of your week and asked, how come you didn't get done what you wanted to? Or maybe have you ever struggled to gain influence at work or home? Or have you felt as if you are a productive person, but you really don't know where you're going or what you want, so the distractions of social media or maybe Netflix take over your day? If any of that sounds like you, I want you to know that you're not alone and invite you to visit us online at lionsguide.com and subscribe to the Lions Guide newsletter or maybe even download some of our free guides to help you on your journey. The time is now to transition to the next level in your performance and personal growth and have some joy in life. Visit LionsGuide.com and subscribe today. You owe it to yourself and those most important to you to be the best version of you. Don't lose any more time. Subscribe today. I can't wait to see who you're going to become. And now back to the show. And let's let's dive into the next one up. So what what made you? What took you there? Like how did that end up your thing? Good question.
1: It's you know I could go all the way back to my youngest days of, um, you know, growing up in, in Geneva, New York and, and seeing the, um, you know, the small public school system, uh, you know, I had, had some friends that, that did quite well in life and and others that really struggled. And, and I was really lucky enough to, you know, I said this to a friend of mine uh, who I you know, just talked to him yesterday and he, um, was a, a, an athlete with me in high school and, and, uh, grew up, you know, single mom as a, a, a black male in a, a town that was, you know, more than predominantly white. Um, there wasn't, you know, as I look at, I talked to him, I say, Hey, you know, I say to Rich, you're like how many teachers do we have that look like you? And I already knew the answer zero. And we went to school K through 12. You know, how many coaches did you have that looked like you zero? And as we go through this, you know, just a little bit of, of a guy like him modeling, you know, his father wasn't in, in his life. His mother struggled and, and, and actually had cancer when we we're in high school. And, um, as he took a look at that, too, we, we start to break down a little bit more of like, what does it take to create that model of growth for a young person? And a lot of it is just seeing not just a, a race conversation, but seeing people that you feel come from where you come from in positions of success. And, you know, for me, was thinking a little bit more about that, um, you know, he as I went off to college and, and all this stuff we're talking about, you know, my struggles, you know, he went off to um, and he did. I guess it's like 16 years in, in state prison. And uh, and I visited him once and uh, went, sat on Christmas morning with him and he didn't know I was coming. And, you know, he had a couple of years left and, and um, I just sat with him and we cried. And I said, you know, I, I developed this program, I think, because of our relationship. I'm not, it's not sitting here, we already wrote to each other. So we knew what each other was up to. He was proud of me and I was supporting him um sent them a few bucks here and there, but it was all just relationship based. And I, I said, I think this is why I'm doing it now that I look back on it was I had a lot of friends that really struggled and they didn't look like me. And I had parents that had an open door at their home. And, and so it was these real relationships from growing up um, where I saw a lot of reality. But then I'm, uh, you know, thrust myself into the classroom and then all of a sudden these memories pop up again you know, I'm at a predominantly, you know, white school in, in Baltimore to private school. And I see some guys that I know, you know, are taking the bus or, you know, they have a single mom that's dropping them off on their way to like one of two jobs. And so I started to think, I've seen this before. And, and to me it was, you know, how can I be a support system? Um, you know, just a little bit, but you know, then I got out to Denver and I was the admissions director at this great, uh, Jesuit school out there. And I, I love my experience at Regis Jesuit. And, um, it was, you know, it's Denver. So at the time, um, there's a, uh, you know, predominantly white population at this school and I would have families that come in, you know, I had just gotten there from Baltimore and so it wasn't a very diverse town to me. And so as I looked around, I thought from a recruiting standpoint too at that school, I was like, how do we find an environment and experience for every student here where it's accessible? And I realized whether it was bus lines or, you know, single parent families or whatever it was, but there's a young man named Carzel Vickers who's uh, I think is in Denver now and I kept in touch with him for years and years and his brother and his mom and his dad and and I he really set me off of, of, of going, this is probably in 2005 or six, where I thought, man, he didn't make it at the school, but he got in and man, I, I did anything I could to make sure that he felt supported. And so I, I just thought, man, there's a nonprofit in here. There's a, I didn't think from a business standpoint, but like, how can I take what I love doing the most, which is, and this wasn't a, a, you know, I identify young men of color and try to support the hell out of them. My office was packed with teenagers that just want to talk. I'm like, hey, that guy, Coach Hannah, he's all right. And when you go to his office, I had this, you know, nice admissions office that overlooked the lobby and they would just sit on my couch and a a mom would call and say, hey, you know, my son's battling some depression. I don't know if you know anything about that. Of course, in my head, I'm like, send him in, send him in. And so for me, it was just youth and young people. But when we went back to Baltimore, you know, I looked at some McDonough and Gilman and some really great private schools. But I, I said to myself, what's the hardest? It was like going into the city. Go to the city and go to schools that struggle, and I, I found a, a great school there that I worked at, and and that's where everything started to really pop. Was you know I was coaching basketball and coaching football and lacrosse and a few other things, and I realized that this is now the the, the playground where I'm going to develop, help my, my you know young men develop. You know I don't think I had a, an agenda as much as I, I still have. You know my shelf here a nonprofit for dummies, how to start a Nonprofit. And so I'm sitting in my classroom in between teaching history at like 30 years old, like, all right, so I need a board, you know, how do I call, ask people that? All right, I need a 501c3, I need to call a lawyer. So I really did piecemeal all this together with no money, um, I was, you know, making next to nothing and my wife was busting her butt, we're living right on Eastern Avenue in Baltimore and I, I just, uh, next one up started to, to grow a little bit because my classroom door guys kept coming in. And said, hey, I heard these guys are signing up for something that you're doing. I'm like, yeah, I just call it this, call it next one up. And, you know, we just meet on the weekends and play basketball. Great, I'll do it. And I started to realize that absence, that lack of, you know, you call it stimulation, call it opportunity or whatever, um, started to bring more young men into my classroom. And guys saying, man, I, I want to hear more about it. But this really was a culmination of experiences for me that ultimately got to the question of, what are you doing when school's out? you know, cause I think that was the most important, whether when I was in college or elsewhere, um, somebody needed to ask me that question, you know, like, what are you doing Friday night? You know, yeah. you're going to go out and you're going to drink with your buddies and then feel like crap for the next four days. Or are you going to get better? And so I think for me, some of it was very relative. And as I said, my friend from high school who you know, I still keep in touch. He's, he's working full time and raising his son. I just sent his son a bunch of lacrosse equipment and, um, that relationship's really strong, but I think, he nods his head and says, I, I know what you're doing. And you're always doing this. You know, he thinks I'm kind of nuts. And he said, even in high school, you know, I used to pick guys up for football and it was a lot of the guys that didn't have rides. And I just, I wanted to win. And so I, I didn't pick up the guys that were black. I just picked up the guys I knew weren't going to get there. And yeah. so then when I'd show up in my mom's caravan and, you know, bring them to to practice, I started to gain some, you know, sort of respect of a lot of different guys. And, and I think, um, you know, it's very therapeutic to share that because it was um, there's a lot to it. You know, I think yep. what made me um, was experience, you know, and again, as I was, we were saying earlier is, you know, I can Google all this and people. I have a call tomorrow morning. She's you know probably a wonderful person. But it's was like, could you tell me how you do what you do? Well, get ready. You know, I'm going to tell you, you know, how impossible it is to do this crap sometimes. And there's days I don't want to get out of bed and um, times where we move backwards. And, you know, I just we have three, 12 freshmen in college right now. One of them is already kicked out. The other one just tore his his labrum, his shoulder, Um, so he's back home getting ready for surgery. Then another one that um, couldn't figure out how to get to college because his mom's car wasn't running. And so it's those kind of things where I'm constantly troubleshooting for guys. And and I I said to a young man this morning, um, he called me and I read the letter and said, you are not coming back to our school. And I called him and he said, yeah, I'm devastated. I said, man, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm not calling you to get upset with you. I don't get angry at guys. I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do next? Are you going to get up? Are you going to pull yourself together? And where are you going to be next semester? So I think, you know, the earlier days of me, like, man, what the hell? How would you how'd you let this happen? And, and, you know, that sort of stuff to me, um, I started to realize this long term, that young man needs a relationship and someone that cares about him. And I think that goes back to my friend Rich, who uh, probably didn't see that as a young guy and probably would attest to that. You know, and so I think, you know, during the toughest times in some programs, you know, kid could get arrested or a, a kid could get kicked out of school. Well, then you have to leave our program like psh, I'm going to bring you so much tighter into this sphere that you're never going to let go. And, you know, that's that's I think today, um, you know, being a problem solver for others is is something that I I guess I stumbled into. That wasn't my ultimate goal. It was like get guys to college and create successful stories. But I just realized there's a whole bunch of other landmines that you hit on the way to that.
0: Yeah, no, and it's awesome. I mean, I, I love it. And it's, it's, you know, kind of one of the things I wanted to ask you, and you, I think you've touched on it a few th- uh, throughout that. Um, but, you know, you said you do this to serve the unmet needs of these young men. And the question I'm gonna ask you now is because I want the listeners to hear what they are so that they can open their eyes up to that. But what are the unmet needs? unmet needs that you see that these young men in our communities need of, of these mentors and the community itself, you know, yeah. the coaches, the, the teachers, the what, what are these unmet needs that that they that they, can, they can be served with?
1: Yeah. And I break it down, whether it's for staff or, you know, in these kind of conversations too, the, in the way you, I boiled it down and, and it, certainly through, you know, books I've read and um, conversations I've had, but like with the simplest way to take a look at breaking apart a young man's life especially in baltimore city is home street school those three things when i pull information out of each one of those three things aren't working in sync with one another then you're going to hit some roadblocks and and that's okay because i think all of us could probably attest to you know having all three of those things as i explain them in order is pretty difficult but like that that home piece i'll use one kid as an example and he's doing great in life is you know we had a young man lived in uh, on the east side of baltimore and he um lived with his mom that had some struggles, some health struggles, some employment struggles, um, in the house was, was, you know, little row home that, you know, I think had any, any given point five six people living in it, um, smoking, you know, so the kids there, you know, breathing in secondhand smoke, um, things that popped, you know, he brings home a new PlayStation and someone steals it, you know, he dealt with a lot of drama at home. Um, but at the end of the day, a wonderful mother, um, that's that home piece. Is what's going on in your house? Are you in? Are you in foster care? Um, is there physical violence that you're, you're you're witnessing or that you're that's being impressed upon you? Um, alcoholism, drugs. So as you can see where I'm going with that. If if your house is not in order, that young man when he walks out the door, and this kid went to Archbishop Curley, nice Catholic school over in um, East Baltimore, and you know, walks out in his you know shirt and tie ready to go to school, we probably would make assumptions of like, this kid's on his way. He's got some good stuff going on in that house. Actually, he had to rise above what was going on to be able to get out. The second step for him is when he walks off his steps and he walks down those marble steps and he looks right and he looks left. What do you see? Do you see abandoned houses? Do you see homeowners? Do you see flowers in the window? Do you see drug dealers? Do you see Um, A Starbucks on the corner, a a bookstore, a coffee shop, all those things, especially in Baltimore, a lot of places are indicators of what your street is providing you. And, you know, I'll never forget dropping a kid off at home in a actually neighborhood a couple blocks away from there. And, um, you know, I couldn't get off the street. People blocked my car. And, you know, it was one of those moments as a young maverick, you know, mentor. I was like, man, there's certain streets you don't need to be on. And I started to pick guys up and I'd look at addresses like, all right, man, the car is not going to stop rolling. Get out of your house and jump in because respectfully, I don't belong on your street. I'm throwing off things. People are looking at me like, why is he here? I look like a cop or whatever it might be. I started to read into it, not be offended, but be respectful. And so when I take a look at street, that's the second one is we haven't done this, Dale. We have to an extent. We've got some interesting data points. But um, how many of our guys have seen um, violence take place and have seen someone lose their life and have seen gun violence? That statistic and that piece really defines that street piece. When you look at what these guys need is, is, is they need stable neighborhoods. Now you're getting into the depths of politics and socioeconomics and things where I know that I can fix this guy's situation, but the, the street as a whole, I look around sometimes too and say, there's a lot of work to be done here. And sometimes it's, you know, Successful neighborhoods, you know, have, have homeownership, you know, so next one up. We're really pushing homeownership for our graduates Not even that we're investing next one up money into these down payments And and we know that that's one, you know, whether it's faith We're not a religious based organization But anytime you see a street that has a really strong church on it um, and how kind of America began, you know, there's there's faith-based um, Towns that had a steeple in the middle, you know, and that's that's where you got what you needed, you know, in terms of your faith and community And then, um, you know, so that third one, school, is where do you attend every day? And, you know, that young man I talked to this morning who was heartbroken that he was just asked to leave only after a summer program, a really high level institution. um, And he wasn't ready and he was a product of the public school system. And he was top, top of his class. He was close to valedictorian. I don't wanna say he was, I know he was in the top three. And then he goes off to school just to a summer program and he couldn't cut it. And we talked on the phone today, he said it was a little bit of his effort, or a lot of his effort, I'm sure. Um, but I, uh, we also talked the relevance of one going to Baltimore City public schools and being off school for over a year, and then having to roll into college. So you know, I don't knock the schools, but they man, they struggle when you talk about when you walk into your school, you know, what's for lunch, that's one of my first questions. And then the next thing is, as you roll through your day, I'll ask a kid, how many fights do you see in a week? The kid says five or more or a kid says five or less, there's some guys that go to private schools that we, you know, we support them in sending them to, they might see one fight a month, you know, if that. And so when you take, you know, that view of violence during your day, the frustration of, of challenges in education, um, when school is out and you go to practice, you know, does your coach care? You know, is he there early? Does he expect everybody else to be there early? All those little life lessons that a school can teach you and that should be teaching you, I realize is broken and it is not um, the trajectory is not moving upwards. So I, I break those three things apart with young guys of home street and school to really figure out, you know, what's missing here and what can determine this kid's success. Cause we do have young guys that live in really stable homes where they might have a parent that's a homeowner, um, that matters in so many cases, like a lot of us, cause we put more time into where we live. And then that second piece is a street. We have some young guys where the parents said, Hey, I have the means or the interest to get out of this neighborhood. And that kid has a park near his house. And that park doesn't have, uh, isn't crime written or park doesn't have, you know, violence that exists, or drug dealers that have taken over the courts. That's reality in Baltimore. And so I think guys that have the street thing figured out. And then the third part, if we have a guy that goes, you know, works hard in school, that home and that street piece typically lead to that kid going to a better school. And so you know, whether you're at Poly or City or Calver Hall or Mount Saint Joe, you know, you name it. But um, those three things are the easiest way when someone sits down with me and says. know, how do you pick apart how to support a kid? I look at those three factors and some of them I can't fix, some of them I can, but um, there's situations in each of them where um, uh, we've, you know, I've trouble you know, try to figure out what I can do. And that kid I started the story with, um, Isaiah is now at, um, you know, University, you know, he dealt with getting on the bus and getting from his house to Archbishop Curley and home every day. And he's a neighborhood kid, but man, he had to see some BS and some tough stuff. And he's now at University of Maryland Eastern Shore and he's got his pilot's license. He's in the aviation school. And uh, this is a kid that had never been to the airport before until he got to college. So like how we create these narratives is you've got to tell me what you want. And then I want to get it with you, not for you, but I'll get it with you. You want to be a pilot? Walk out of your house, keep your blinders on, get to the bus. If you're having a hard time, we'll send you an Uber. We'll do whatever we got to do to make sure that you can bypass whatever these challenges are. Again, home street school. If we have to get you to a boarding school because things at home are a total mess, We'll get you to a boarding school. It won't solve any everything. But if it's your environment at home that's challenging you or your street or your school, then let's get out of that school. And um, you know, that's where we really sit with guys and try to figure it out. But it's 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 kind of our driving force in, in how we create content knowledge for this.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And and I guess I've heard you mention a number of things, but you know, two things I wanted to ask you was, you know, it, you know, I've heard, heard it said that you've evolved to, to serve those who are most committed to their future. So I wanted to kind of know who you're supporting and how you identify them. Because obviously, in yeah. Baltimore, there's a ton of people who need support, obviously, in a place like that. But but with regard to um, who you're serving and and how are you serving? So I heard a couple of things like support on rides, down payments. Like, you know, who are they and, and how are you serving them?
1: Yeah, the, for our guys, it, first it started with me as a teacher, where I was teaching predominantly young black males and at male and female. But as the program started, I, I focused on young men um, for a lot of reasons. One, because you know the statistics can lead you that way—that you know young men need a lot of support. But also, it was my comfort level as a young teacher working with young teenage boys as opposed to to girls. And I also knew that sports was a bigger carrot for a lot of young guys in the city. So you know, I took my angle of what was what made the most sense to me as an individual. And I think um, as we look at identifiers for our guys, um, it's pretty straightforward. Now, we have these boxes to check, and, and, and typically there is a baseline of, you know, a single parent family um, income. We ask those questions. We do it in more of a, a, a familial setting where it's not like, you know, do you make less than 30000 a year? Check this box. It's more of like sitting down with mom or dad or mom and dad or whoever's in the house saying... Um, you know what's going on. You know, and, and and you know where you work, and all these kind of things. So we just get a better picture of what we need to do to support. And so, with all that, it's it's school relationships. We have schools that we go after. There's some that are in neighborhoods where I love it. I'll sit around with my staff and say, "Hey, let's hit this neighborhood. You know, we know it. Let's look at that school because I, you know, I've heard that this school is struggling. I guarantee there's some great, great young men in this school. So a lot of it is finding opportunity. And when we do that, oftentimes, really, you know, zip code determines so much in Baltimore. When we look at it where a kid goes to school, it often is the zip code situation. You know, we look at an area of town where we know there's a, there's high violence or we talk to folks in the community to say, hey, this school could really use your help. Now, we only go in and, and really recruit one or two young men. But at the end of the day, the boxes that they check is how bad do you want it? If we offer a program, will you show up every weekend? And what we often find, the determining factors typically are one of two things or combined, a really, really strong figure at home who says, and I've got one specifically, I talked to the mom today, we have a great young kid, Akil, who's um, highest performing student that we have. And his mom used to push him out of the car on Sundays because he didn't want to come. And he says that even now, he was Uh, And I took him to a camp last week. I was like, remember when you are a freshman and you couldn't stand it? He's like, oh, coach, I didn't want to do this at all. And, you know, opportunity is now opening up for him. So sometimes it's just a strong parent. The kid didn't want to do it, but she made him come. And eventually she made him like it. Now he finally loves it. But the other piece is that that young man has to have some sort of drive, something in him that gets him out of bed on a Sunday morning. And our program runs on Sundays for a lot of reasons. One, because it fit my life, but two, because I know it's the worst day of the week to want to work. And so I would get up at, you know, 738, say goodbye to my kids for a Sunday and, and w- deal with other people's young people for for a day. And um, but the end of it is, you know, as you were saying, you know, topics or words like grit. Um, show us how bad you want it and I'll give you a playing field to do it. Um, but at the end of the day, whether you're successful is not whether or not there's a super strong parent at home. That just can be a great factor in it. But I also have guys that don't have that strong force at home. And it impresses me even more that they have that personal drive at 14, 15, 16 to get out of bed. So I'm inspired all the time. And, you know, with all that, the details of the guys we take. Now, our program, although we don't advertise as such, we deal with 100% young black men. Um, With that, I also, everybody's hurting. And I think for us, when we look at young people and young teenagers, my life mission and what I'm really looking at professionally and with Next One Up is we wanna make sure that this is an everybody program in the sense that um, we know who who makes it through for us. And oftentimes we've had kids from higher socioeconomic brackets uh, that have shown up at Next One Up and they're not interested. And it's okay. One of the reasons is because they, home street school, they got a basketball court in their driveway. They've got uh, their own bedroom. They have internet at home. They have their own laptop. Um, So for guys that it didn't work out for them, it wasn't a a, a race or anything else. A lot of it was just socioeconomic. You know, hey, I've got both my parents. We live in a pretty solid place. I go to a school and everything works out. Home street street school did not check out for that kid. Um, So that's what we really see. But, you know, with all of that is we we want to sort of in, in a lot of ways, diversify the population of young men that we have. But the reality is in Baltimore City, where it's 70 percent plus African-American population in Baltimore, we know who's coming. You know, we know the guys that we're getting. And I always, you know, sort of joke that, you know, we're going to see guys come in that that don't look like these guys pretty soon. And, and we welcome it. Um, but it really is at the end of the day, if that young man, you know, no matter, you know, white, black, Hispanic can check those boxes of home street school. And there's a struggle within there. There's a chance that that our program is going to be a great receptor for them.
0: Awesome. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's awesome. And it, what is, what are some of the things that you're doing? Is it specific things or, but it sounded to me like a, a lot, I, I won't go so far as say you'll do anything, but it sounds like you're saying, Hey man, we'll do anything to get them point A to point B or to, you know, to where they want to go. And I, and I love and and, and, and take a step back. I love what you said because, you know, because that's what I was trying to affirm, which is you're looking for those who who are looking for the help. They want the help. They want more. They're driven to get more. And you're you're giving them the help to get there. Right. That that sounds like a screen, right? Like they're like the world's against me. It's not me. It's everything else. I can't do like that mindset versus like, hey, I just this is where I want to go, you know, And, and you're stepping up for them.
1: Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, with that, it's, it's it's sort of this, whatever it takes mentality. And sometimes I, you know, it's easier to do through storytelling of, of, um, God, you know, it's like the the young man I mentioned earlier who, you know, shows up, he lived in a, in a group home, uh, through high school, was a a good student and and good athlete. He's at a, a college in West Virginia. And, you know, his first practice, he tears his shoulder. Um, he, he calls me and says, what happens next? You know, like what, how does this work? So for me, it's, you know, the reality of it, when these young men become men, you know, eight, these sort of 18 and over, or whatever we determine that they are, um, they just have real life questions, you know, like, hey, I'm headed back to school, but my mom's car's not running. Well, send me, a, 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 you know, enterprise rent a car, send me a, a, a quote, I'll pay it. I'll make sure she's got a car to get you there like nothing's going to stop you from getting where you're going because you've been working so hard for six years since you joined the program so a lot of our older guys see these benefits you know isaiah the young man that's a pilot it costs him five thousand dollars a year extra as a student to be in the aviation program and luckily there's a uh, an organization that that hosted a golf outing uh the the um once one small step foundation uh, rent a golf outing and they donated the money to us. And immediately we knew what to do with it. It was like 4,800 bucks, turn that money around and give it to Isaiah. He needs to go to aviation school. And he got that email last week and it was like, you guys just keep showing up. And we know that we do because we know it'll get him where he needs to go. But, you know, I could walk you through really quickly a day, say this summer with next one up, we, we run our program at the Gilman school. They've been good to us. They, it's centrally located. It's got great fields and we're working on our own facility now in Baltimore that we can really have the keys to every door. We're working on that. But a young man comes in at 9 a.m. He checks in. Um, there's a host of classes that they'll run through. This summer was uh, bicycle mechanics where they're taking bikes apart, putting them back together. So there's an engineering piece to it. Um, then the other was uh, drones. So these guys, and it's on our Instagram, some other things these guys were – uh, doing a drone program, which is crazy. We're trying to get tech really built into what we're doing. Then a lot of it was um, we sort of called life skills, which is, you know, sort of fatherhood manhood class where a lot of guys are learning how to deal with themselves In the environment that they live in and the schools that they attend there's college counseling high school counseling to make sure guys get where they need to go but um financial literacy is a big piece for us and we're starting a a investment club next year so that these guys can understand at an earlier age what it would take to be financially sound and what that vision looks like for them so it really is almost like you know a guy like you or myself um it's practical You know, practical skills that you can apply to the real world. We're not doing, and I always say that to my staff is like, can we, you know, we're not doing, you know, I hate saying it because we've done some good stuff with it, but it's not, poetry's in in English and all that stuff. Math is so important, but how can we do it in a format that it's exciting? And so, you know, having them, we've had some great teachers that have had guys, you know, write letters to themselves and, and write letters to us and others. So like, it has to be something where a kid says, I'm doing this with purpose, not because you told me to. And so I think our education, I said way earlier is I was either going to start my own school, which what I understand costs somewhere between 90 and a hundred million dollars to build out your own school physically. So I did not going to do that. But the other is the nonprofit side of things where I realized I could make an impact. And, you know, I think that's the you know, the biggest factor for me was figuring out, uh, you know, where I can make this impact with guys. And, um, it's, it's, it's been every day is different. I just said to someone before this call is all our freshmen just arrived on campus. Now my phone's ringing. Nobody called me for a year. Now everybody's got something that needs to get fixed. And so I just think we can build this better into our education of our young guys. So this kid's not like, Oh, Hey, what do I do? I just got thrown out of school. Like, ah, well, here's the next step. I'm not going to get mad, but we're going to map out the next six months. Yeah. And so I think when a guy really wants to receive that information and not disappear, um, all goes well. And um, it's just like my struggles in college, you just got to realize it's just the first step, the first stumble. Um, so it's been really interesting. But we also have this proof of concept with these older guys now that just say, look, hey, seventh grader, you know, I'm Isaiah. I'm, I'm 20 years old stick with this program. I can't explain to you why, but you're going to see it and value it when you're older. And I think I'm not there yet. I think when our guys are in their thirties, I might feel the relevance of all of this.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. And and I, I would just want to honor you for what you're doing, man. Cause I mean, it's, it's a big need. It's kudos to you, dude. I love, I love it. The, the, exactly. what advice would you give that young man, right? Like, where do you come out of the gate? Like what's what are you telling them? What do, what do they need to hear? You know, if, if I'm making sense here, like what do they need to hear most from your experience? Right. What are you telling them? Yeah, well,
1: I'll say what they need to hear most. And and I said that to this young man this morning, create uh, great kid, Keith. And I said, um, you know, uh, you just got asked to leave school the summer before your freshman year. I said, I got asked to leave school the November of my junior year. So my experience versus yours, I said, you got everything ahead of you. And I even told him like, no school's gonna even see that summer transcript. You're gonna be good. You're way better than 19 year old Matt Hanna was. So I think I can work you through this. And he was receptive to that, I think. So one, I met him on his level. And I think maybe there's an understanding of like, well, there's Coach Hanna. He probably has done everything right. Why? Because I'm you know the head of this organization. I might be the head of it because I've done a ton of stuff wrong. And so the advice I'm giving to him, one is, is using a, a very calm voice. And letting him know i always want to make sure that he wants to call back and it's not i've known the guy forever um you know for years now and i i, I know his mom and, and so it's just one of those things i said the same thing i said if your mom's having a hard time with this or has questions tell her to call me i sort of insert myself into the family in a really appropriate way of like i'm only here for this i'm not going to tell you when to wake up and anything else It's on you um but at the end of it you know besides just lending my ear to a young guy is i finished conversations with most guys and this is, I think, probably the most powerful, but to me has become commonplace. I'm not getting used to it, but I finished and I said, I love you. And that kid will always 100% of the time respond. I love you too, coach. And at the end of the day, that's something that I, I didn't test it out. It's like a kid said that to me one time. I'm like, man, these guys need love. And, and as teenage young men, there's a way to, that it can be said. And, you know, what, however it is with each kid, like, hey, love you, bro. Love you too, man. And then he just hangs up. And sometimes it's tears, sometimes it's more of he just needed to hear that. And I think with it creates this longevity of relationship because Keith is going to call me when he's 25. And his wife is pregnant and he doesn't know what to do about it. You know, in terms of like, I'm not making enough money or all the struggles any man goes through. My hope is that first call at 18 of, hey, I have to leave school to, hey, I'm 23 and I just got fired from a job or, hey, can you read my job offer um, in my contract? I love doing that for guys. But no, push back, ask for more. That's BS. So I think what I'm doing is opening up pathways for future conversations. It's not strategically as much as I know that this is how life works is the same people that you asked advice now when you're 18, I hope are the same people when you're 38 and, and an evolving network of people. But um, man, just, just listening, shutting up and listening. And which is why I find, you don't know, do a lot of podcasts, but I find this just great to be in a platform where I can speak because I, I don't share a lot of this. I guess even my wife is just like, oh, good day, bad day kind of thing. But I'll tell her about these guys tonight, but there's times where I just don't want to bring it to the kitchen table. Sure. And um, so with all of that, it's in, in, in telling someone how much you love them. And I think it's just, uh, it, it's something that's missing for a lot of young guys.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Now, and I was, I was writing it down, I was hearing, and you tell me if I'm wrong, like, be authentic, be relatable, give them quality mentorship with love, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. That's, that's
1: and it's awesome. you know, going back, I, I say it to anybody. And, and, and I you said earlier too, like, you know, sort of living in Mayberry. And I, I say I joke with my kids and you know, they think they got it tough. I'm like, man, you live in Mayberry. I'll say it to my <laughs> kids. And um when I look at it going back to where I grew up, um, or just how I did in, in an environment, you know, public school, I just always remember like sitting in the cafeteria and everything else. Man, I learned the art of, of relating to others at a very early age. You know, being a, a, a an athlete on the football team or you know, basketball team or whatever. There's always like, you know, Geneva High was like, you know, there's the, the black guys at this table and the white guys at this table. I was the one that mingled. I wanted to go yeah. sit with those guys because I played a little bit of football, I played a little bit of basketball, and they look at me like, "What's he doing sitting here?" And at the end of the day, it was like, those are still my friends today. And so I think sports really bind people, and, and similar probably with you, Dale, the military, anything else. So much goes out the window when you have a shared experience. And so when I go to war on a a football field or a lacrosse field or a basketball court with these guys, um, that was the environment for me when I talked to Keith or his mom is, you know, you pointed out of, of, you know, really connecting in the appropriate way. I don't really struggle with that. I'm not saying it's easy for me, but I've been doing uncomfortable stuff since elementary school. You know, know, being put in remedial math and I was in there. I still – Rich and I still – that's where I met Rich was in remedial. We always knew each other, but – you know, we were really became friends when I was in sixth grade and he was in seventh or eighth grade. And there's another guy in the remedial math class with Mr. Fitch. And we just joke about that all the time. Like, man, it was perfect. This other guy had this, it was the early nineties. He had like metal hair and imagine being in seventh grade and he had a tattoo in like 1990 of of like a skull on his arm. So like nobody had tattoos then. This guy still remember his name was Jeremy and he sat to my left and Rich to my right. So here's like rock and roll white guy. And then Rich from the projects of Geneva, I looked around I'm like, I better damn well figure out how to get these guys that like me quick. Right. And it was funny, I, you know, my sense of humor or whatever it was, making jokes, being a clown. But I found my angles in a way to be relatable to people. And so I was tested early and was lucky early but I also, with my own children, luckily, Next One Up kids are here. There's another one coming staying with us next weekend. You know, sometimes guys are on the way to college. I'm like, hey, you can crash here. We had a kid that lived with us for several years. So my kids are blessed in that they've seen others in our home and in our experience that don't look like them. And it's just commonplace. It's just sort of normal for them. But I think as they get out into the world, they're going to realize that, like, crap, my my situation was a little bit different. So I, I fear, I worry, and I, I you know struggle with some parents who don't know how to expose their children to... Um, everybody, you know, I don't say how others live or anything else, but just to everybody, you know, and I think we live in a world of camps now and, you know, we all sit in our camps and can't figure out whether it's, you know, Baltimore, you know, you look at city schools, we have guys in city schools in Baltimore that also probably haven't gotten to know people that don't look like them as classmates in their entire high school or, you know, K through 12 education. So there really is a, a dividing line, unfortunately, that we see everywhere. That um, it's hard to give advice to folks on how to expose yourself and your kids to it, but it certainly is through mentoring. Um, one of our goals with our new facility at Next One Up is to have folks come in and help serve cook, not eat serve meals, but like cook dinner with our guys. We have a we're gonna have a kitchen in there. Come make dinner with the guys. Bring your kids and, and understand you can have these great conversations, like I have and. Um, so I, yeah, again, it's, uh, you probably did the same in the military. You certainly nearn, learn how to navigate when some guys next to you has a totally different background than you. Oh yeah. And, um, oh, I, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm lucky in that sense, but I'm not inspired or, you know, whatever the word is, of you know, the, the future where we're living now and that, um, you know, I think schools are still really struggling with how to, um, really create connections.
0: Yeah. Now, yeah. And I think, we all are. I mean, we're like, as society, we're connecting. We're not connecting the way we're meant to connect. Like we're not, we're meant to communicate with gesture and not only, not just our words, but gesture tonality. Right. And, and we habitually don't anymore. Like we don't have a lot of practice with connecting with people properly, especially like, in person now. And, and the net result of it has been, we don't introduce ourselves to strangers and go, Hey, I'm Dale. What's your name? Like we don't, Yep. it's 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 tough <laughs> yep. it's
1: tough I agree it's and it's it, you know whether it's you know social media and the internet and, um, and you know the world's feeding us assumptions all day long yeah. and not how many times at the end of it we're like you know you size somebody up and like what a great person what a great guy and I, I had it wrong or you know whatever it might be I mean it's the same when a kid walks in the next one up um, I always have the same you know whether it's sports or the military or the first day on a job, I always, you know, I learned this from my teaching days is, you know, whether it's the first six months of class or the first six weeks, um, I don't smile a whole lot. And, you know, I want to make sure that student knows they're in my class to learn and I'm not to be messed with. But at the same time, once we cross that wall together, I'm going to be your best friend and best ally. And I yeah. think that's what I love it. Next one up when young guys come in is they see a whole host of people that they get greeted by. And I very quietly am like, oh, but, you know, I don't introduce myself. I'm just, I'm Coach Anna. I'm like, all right, who's this guy? And I don't you have people say like, oh, that's the founder. That's the guy that kind of runs the show. This is more of like, I'm just a guy in your network and you're going to determine whether you like me and I'm going to do the same thing. And a lot of it's going to be through shared
0: experience. Now I love it, man. The, um, on the high performance side, cause you're doing so much, you started this and it church sure, it's, it's a, it's a nonprofit organization. It's, you know, so on a high performance side, you know, what, if someone were to ask you, what's, what makes you successful, right? What's, what's, what are you doing that you feel is making mm-hmm. contributes to your success and you won't compromise on it? What, you know, what's the habit, what are you doing that's making you successful?
1: Yeah, I think for me, Dale is, is I never, um, you know, is it it you know, I, I have an, I have an answer for you, but for me it's like which one? Because for me, it's like my, my motor doesn't stop, you know, and I don't I, I pause because I don't always think that's the best thing. Because you try like, you know, probably yourself very much. You try laying on my pillow at night and there's this like, man, there's stuff I got to fix right now. And my wife, she'll be falling asleep and she can see in the dark room like, oh, there he goes again. And I don't stay up all night crunching stuff. But at the end of it is like when there's an email I didn't send or a problem that I didn't solve or a message that a kid needs to get from me. Um, I think it's that, you know, I wake up in the morning. I did that today on a Monday morning and and, and sometimes it's Mondays. I I think of the day that most people don't. And so that's the day I do. And so Mondays, it's usually my six mile run, not my four mile run. And and this morning I was up at 515, just emails. and, And I wanted to get all this work out of the way. So creating a schedule that I knew at the end of the day as I'm talking to you, that I felt like I've accomplished several things before I even connected with you. And so I think, you know, for me is, is what gets me out of the bed is, you know, clearly I'm dealing with other people and there's also not uh, a financial model for me where I'm truly benefiting, um, you know, stock options or whatever else, you know, motivates folks for me it's human capital, you know, the idea of, can I get this, this guy that just got kicked out of school to the right place? I'm not done yet. So now tonight when I lay down my wheels and be turning about him and think about where can I get him in five years and will he do it with me? So I think my motivating A lot of motivating factors for me is that these relationships, you can't just stop them because for a lot of guys, some people did stop relationships with them. Someone did leave. And so sometimes I get overwhelmed by the longevity of these relationships of like, can I always be there and will I be? And I start to prove to myself like, yes, I can. But a lot of it is, you know, my motor continues to run. And I think when I sit at competitively, I'll go to nonprofit meetings or connect with other folks. And I'll just look around the room. And I think when you and I first met, I said this, you know, about martial arts or jujitsu or anything else is I'm not the best in the room, but when I look around, I'm going to take each of you out. And, you know, and I say that in the most positive way in that, like, if we're fighting over fundraising money, you know, to, to build a center and you are too, or, you know, your message is that you're changing the world or whatever. I think you can have that message. We're going to do this low and slow for a long time. And I think for me, again, it's it's um, I I look around competitively and I think about how can we be the best? And, um, you know, for us, next one up wise, is that data? Is it the statistics we provide or is the fact that, you know, in five to 10 years, we'll have a bunch of 30 somethings that will really say that this program changed the course of my life. So I I think that that's what drives me all the time is that I'm doing something that's purposeful. Um, I'm doing something that I love. And, And honestly, like a lot of us, I'm doing something that there's days I wish someone else would take it from me. And um, because I, I can't keep all the weight on me. And I always I there's a funny st- story, you know, sort of on the religious side of things where I was coaching a team in East Baltimore. And we played against a I uh, uh, I guess it was a team, I think, a fellowship of Christian athletes. We had a scrimmage or a game and they murdered us. It was probably twenty five to nothing. I still remember that being 20 plus to zero. And the guys had their heads down. And this, this parent could hear me bring guys in, like, don't look at the scoreboard. You know, this is all about you getting better. And a lot of my development, and my philosophies of like, you're here. No other kid is here. We were way out in Harford County somewhere playing. And uh, the fa- a father came up to me and handed me a Bible after the game. And he said, you know, looked at me and he's pretty emotional. He's like, you're doing God's work right now. And I, t- I took the Bible. I looked at him and I was like, well, then you do it. And uh, <laughs> I just wanted to get on the bus and leave because I was so frustrated because we were like, oh, and 15. But what's funny is I still have that Bible in my car. And it was one of those moments for me where I, I realized, like, yeah, someone else could be doing it. But, it, you know, there's times where, like, if not me, then who? And so I think I, those those are always reminders for me of why I do what I do is, um, you know, sometimes someone recognizing that you're doing something special when you don't know it. For me, sure. I was a high school teacher and a coach. And, and what else was I going to do? Like, let all these young athletes not have a lacrosse team? I'm going to build one with you, for you. And, you know, when we get beat in the game, I'm going to be pissed just like you. But, you know, it was just interesting as a you know parent stopped me and um, he, he I appreciated it. But I'm like, I'm here every day with these guys and we're not winning. And I just realized there's more to it because those guys that are on that team now, I still keep in touch with. And um, yeah. so it's, it's uh, some valuable experiences. But I think I've got a drive in me that I've developed as I became a parent as well. Because I understand and see modeling is so important for young people that, man, if I'm garbage at home, then I'm gonna be garbage with somebody else's kid. Yeah. And some of that's just physical too. So it's, you know, I go to a, a, a rec soccer game with my daughter and, you know, maybe I'll talk to some, some other dads and they're like going out to hit golf balls or something like that. And that sounds cool. I, I you know, everybody's got their, their hobbies. And I think, well, I'm gonna to go to the gym and probably wrestle somebody tonight. And you know, so because I want to show up tomorrow night at soccer and, and be better, and yeah. uh, your golf game is probably better too. But I want to get physically, mentally, in so many different ways, accomplish something. Um, the all, also it, it start to really help me with next one up guys. Like when a kid calls, you know, com- this guy today complaining about something, and I was like, well, I already been in the gym this morning. What have you done today? And so for me is just do it in a way that's appropriate and encouraging. Um, but let them know that um, you know, you got to win every day.
0: Yeah, no, it's like, I mean, you're a great influencer, right? You've modeled the way you challenge them, right? You're doing all the things that they need. And you're right. If not, if not you, then who? Until yeah. you can answer that, you got to keep doing your thing, man. But you're doing, yeah. you are doing great work, man. It's, it's awesome. So yeah. to, to round it out here, what's, um, you know, how can people help next one up, you know, and, and connect with you in that regard?
1: Yeah, it's gonna be great. Um, we're uh, nextoneup.org is the site, and we're we're having some fun times right now. We're going through the rebuild of our, our website, and we're gonna launch in September a, a capital campaign to build out our own facility. So there's some folks that might you know have the means or, or interest in saying, hey, how can I impact this building, you know, and how how can I help curate an experience for your guys you know, through some connections, you know, whether financial or any other resources. But the other is eventually as that center opens, we'll be looking for mentors. And, and this is something we've never externally looked for mentors. We kind of do our own thing on our own. Um, but, uh, you know, with all this too, there's, you know, the easiest thing anyone could do first is get to know about us and get to know our guys. There's employment opportunities that folks might have, and, and they can connect with our guys. We, we've got guys that, you know, as I mentioned, Phil, who's in the army and um, gosh, we have civil engineer at, at, at Whiting Turner, a guy who's a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley. We have a young man, a grown man who's a, a child um, a psychologist at Kennedy Krieger. Uh, he's the first guy in our program with a master's degree. Um, it, it's just a great mix of young guys and they all need something. Um, and a lot of it is just human connection or resources. And so with all of that, it's you know not as much as a call to action in terms of fundraising, but it's always helpful. And on our website, one of the best things folks can do with nonprofits too is rather than sometimes that, that big check is um, there's monthly giving. That when I talk about like Isaiah or, or this young man, Lee Trey, that had to get a, a rental car to get out to college, um, we we look for that monthly support to create a little fund for us. It's discretionary. And so that's a big impact for us, too. But it's it's um, it, there's there's a number of angles. And I think our website and our social media um, next one up is it will will help people um, really figure out maybe where they fit in. And it's, our website's pretty informative, and my information's right on there. It's matt at next one up.org. Um, is the best way to reach me, and I, I love connecting with folks that are interested in our mission.
0: Awesome, man, I love it. Well, I, it's been an honor to have you on, man. I'm, I'm I'm really proud to have met you, and someone that's just given so much, and for. Again, like you said, it was giving giving love and mentorship to these guys because that's that's what they need most. So uh, it's going to this this message. I hope it serves a lot of people. I know well it's going to serve. It always does. These messages always serve people, and you know, and that's that's the thing, man. Look look back, look behind you. You know, help that next one up. You know, so yep. so Matt, thank you. Thanks for coming on the show today, man. I nice love it. Out. I really appreciate All right.
1: it. All right, talk soon. All right, thanks.